Thank you so much. Thank you. What a great group. We need to do something first. If I could get some men to help out. I have a copy of um, something that's been prepared this week. It's right there on the front. Divide those up and go down the four sections. Give one to everybody. And it is a godly way in which to celebrate Christmas. We want to do that with folks. So if uh, you would give one to each and every person and extras if you want to take some. We have them uh, on all of the surfaces here. We've got them on the tables in the back and then also on the Welcome Center as you go out and take as many with you as you would like. Also, invitations for people to join us for our special services. We have services tonight at uh, 6.30 and Wednesday night at 7.30. Wednesday night will be a uh, very, very special seasonal candlelight service. Don't miss it. We'll have soft lighting and and singing and and wonderful things that will be shared and uh, a message from the heart from the Word of God, so I hope you'll be out for that. Next Sunday, we will have our pre-New Year's Sunday services, even though it's the 26th, it is the Sunday after Christmas, and so we will talk about things having to do with the New Year and uh, how the Lord would have us to be, and then that Wednesday night, also a candlelight service, a service of dedication. So I urge you to be out for that. Now, I'm hoping that we can have the uh, bookstore open after the service. I mean, I will, I've got a key. And uh, we want to make available all the good items in their Bibles and books and, and other uh, biblical things. And if you would like to purchase for yourself or for others at this season of the year, let me especially urge you to get these. We have a, a couple of different really great deals on journals, uh, calendars, you know, day, day timers, day planners, whatever they are. Uh, there's some more right there, brother. Go, Yeah, we put them down there so we could get them. All right. Good, John. All right. Take as many as you need. We've got plenty in the back also. All right. These, uh, we've got the Thomas Kincaid, and we've got another one. They both have uh, good scripture in them, and uh, they're on special. Normally $20. We've got them for $10 while they last. I'm not going to be able to order any more before uh, next year. So this is 2022 calendars, and you can get those. So stop at the bookstore. We'll get that bookstore open. We will get it cared for and uh, want you to make sure to stop by and uh, get what will be helpful to you and uh, to others as well. All right, everybody got one of those? Thank you so much. Appreciate that. All right, I just, uh, this season of the year, before they have a chance to say their generic happy holidays, I always say Merry Christmas. How about you? That's a good idea. Go around, set the tone, and uh, don't be offensive if you can... If you can uh, share the truth with, without offending people by your personality or your presentation, let's share with people what Christmas is all about. Uh, Brother Tyler put up on the marquee out here. What is it about Christmas? Can't even say what? That's right, because the first part of Christmas is Christ. It's about Him. Jesus is the reason for the season. And I'm glad for all of you coming out today. But how many of you... Today, our special guests, we just like to welcome you in a special way. We have guests here today, don't normally come, but you're here to visit with us today. Would you slip your hand up? Anybody like that? Guests? Anybody for the first time? Well, I'm glad for those who have come today. Thank you so much. And uh, be sure to come out for the other services as they have been announced. Let's take our Bibles, shall we? Take our Bibles and uh, let's turn to the scripture referred on the front of your bulletin, beautiful bulletin, Dane, thank you, good job 
Always. Thank you. All right, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Would you follow with me as I read this familiar passage, Luke chapter 2, written by the physician who accompanied the Apostle Paul in his missionary journeys. We believe all scriptures written by, given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so we know that God the Holy Spirit gave the very words, breathed out those words. We have them preserved, we believe, and so thankful for the Word of God. All right, you found it now, Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed everyone into his own city. It's amazing how God moved upon the heart of this pagan world emperor, Caesar Augustus, and had him raise taxes or call for taxation. Now, politicians are good at that. And usually we kind of, uh, we, we speak ill of them under our breath, don't we? Whenever there's a rise in taxes or we experience some kind of uh, financial difficulty because of government policies. And let's be honest, we don't like it. As human beings, we don't like it when our government does things that seemingly doesn't do us well. It's not in our best interest. Well, Caesar Augustus was under the sovereign control of Almighty God, though he himself was not a godly person. He was a godless man, a pagan man, who even demanded worship of himself. And yet God used him. In the Old Testament, we have numerous cases where God used leaders, countries and world leaders, uh, and used them in a special way and directed them. We've often made reference to Cyrus and how God used Cyrus in a special way for His people, uh, the Old Testament covenant people of Israel, God's people, to go back into the land and to rebuild. I believe that God is still in the business. You say, wow, what a mess we've got in various places. And, and yeah, it's been that way for 2,000 years. You want to know why? Because nothing is going to be perfect in government until Jesus comes back. You say, I voted for this person, I voted for that person, I voted for this person. But none of them came in on a white horse. And none of them totally fixed anything, did they? And I have my preferences, but I have never told you who to vote for. I am telling you, when you vote, vote with your Bible open. Vote, vote biblical principles. But I have never told you what party or parties or individuals to vote for. Why? Because God directs us and He guides His people and gives us wisdom in that regard. Any government we have is imperfect compared to that perfect government of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We just read about what it's going to be like in the millennium when we were reading that prophetic scripture in Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Jesus Christ, King Jesus, is going to rule on earth again. Praise the Lord. Until then, it's imperfect. Until then, what do you need to do? Well, Romans chapter 13 tells us. We ought to, we ought to be good citizens. We ought to be quiet, quiet and well-behaved citizens. And we ought to behave ourselves. And I hope that 
you'll find that uh, in the Scripture and obey it. But here we have Caesar Augustus taxing the world. The timing of it is very interesting. Not just the taxing, but the timing of the taxing. Cyrenius, the actual spelling in history books is Quirinius. Cyrenius and Quirinius, same thing. It's like Timothy and Timotheus. You've got that, right? Silas and Silvanus, same person, same individual. Here we have Cyrenius or Quirinius, and this is interesting because people have often wondered why the wording was first made when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Because Quirinius was twice governor of Syria. And so we have the crosshairs on the timing narrowed down. We know that Jesus Christ, because of miscalculations on the part of some, was probably born in about 4 B.C. Probably, give or take. That's not the important thing. The important thing is not what month, what day, what year. What's important was and is that he was physically born. And he, the way he was born, he was born of a virgin. I was just talking before the service with Brother Chris down here. You know, the liberals, the old liberals, they will take uh, a virgin shall conceive from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and they will take the Hebrew word and they would say, uh, well, that can either mean a virgin woman that's not had a relationship with a man, or it could mean a young woman. And so they try to say that Jesus Christ was, was born of normal conception, had a sin nature, was just like everybody else, and, and for whatever reasons, they diminish the truth of Jesus Christ being the sinless God-man in a body. But then you see you have in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 1, the quotation from Isaiah where it says, A virgin shall conceive. And don't you know the underlying Greek word in the Textus Receptus for virgin is the word uh, parthenos, which can only be translated virgin, somebody that has a woman that hasn't been with a man. So there you have a clarification. You see, the Greek word under the English, which is correct, tells us it's only a virgin woman, it's not a young woman, and is quoting Isaiah... And those liberals will say, well, it can go either way, but it can't go either way because the quotation that's given only can go that one way, a virgin woman, a woman who hasn't had a relationship with a man. How important is that? Well, we know that the sin nature is passed from one generation to the next through the Father, through the Father, through the Father, through the Father, through the Father. Jesus Christ's Father is God the Father. He is born of a virgin. He has no biological, no physical, material father. And that's why the Old Testament scripture, as it prophesies the coming of Jesus, says the seed of the woman. No place else anywhere in Bible or any literature is it spoken of as the seed of the woman because the seed comes from the man. Here we have the seed of the woman. We have this baby being formed inside of, of Mary, the virgin womb, so that there is no sin, no sin taint whatsoever. So when Jesus is born, he is sinless, without a sin nature, and he can go to the cross and take your place and mine because he has no sins of his own to pay for. Instead, he who knew no sin became sin, the sin offering for you and for me. Praise the Lord for that. This is all in God's plan. 
Now, the timing of the taxation, and what you need to understand also is the place of the taxation is the key. Because in Micah chapter 5, verse number 2, the scripture that is quoted in Matthew chapter 2, when the, the wise men come from the east and they're seeking now the young child Jesus. He's not in the manger anymore. He's in a house according to Matthew chapter 2. They've moved. There, there he is. He's in the house and the wise men come and they come naturally to what? Jerusalem. They don't go to Bethlehem. They go to Jerusalem, which is the capital. And they talk to the king. At that time, the king, quote-unquote, is Herod, who is, who is not even Jewish himself. He's an Edomite. He's Idumean. He's a descendant of Esau. Not, not a friend. Not a friend. An enemy. But there he is. And he was so wicked and, and so, so, such an angry character that he killed off his own relatives so that they would not uh, try to depose him. He was a wicked ruler. But they came and they asked and they said, where is he that's born king of the Jews? Now, that kind, of, that kind of upsets the apple cart. And he asks all of these Old Testament experts, where is the king of the Jews going to be born? And they said, it's written in the prophet. And they read from Micah that he would be born in Bethlehem of Judah or Judea, which is the least among all of these other cities. It's just a little cow town. It's nothing. It's where David came from, but it's not a big metropolis. So now they have the directions, you see. Now, what is it that God moves upon the heart of Caesar Augustus to do? All went to be taxed, everyone into his, say the words, own city. The city of their ancestry. And how many of you know, I'll give you three guesses and the first two don't count. How many of you know the city of the ancestry of both Joseph and Mary? What is it? It's called, don't say Jerusalem, Bethlehem. That's right, Bethlehem. So now, these folks who are up here in Nazareth of, of Galilee are going to have to travel all the way down here on the map to Bethlehem of Judea because it was prophesied that that is where Messiah would be born. Isn't it amazing? Do you think God can handle your problems and mine? You think He can handle your situation? If He could get this couple, now they've already been through enough. Uh, we know, according to Matthew, that Joseph was hesitant to take her to wife because they were a spouse. Now, a spousal was like more serious than even engagement is. You know, if you break off an engagement, you just you give back the ring, or you say it's over or whatever, stop seeing each other. But in those days, if you were a spouse, you had to go to the priest, if you want to break it off, and get a bill of divorcement. You had to get a divorce. That's how serious that was. Think about it. So they're espoused. In a spousal, they have everything but a physical relationship between them, Joseph and Mary. They even, sometimes the young man will come to live in the home or vice versa, and parents are watching over them. They're not allowed to have physical relationship. So it's, it's very separate. But all of a sudden, she's with child. And so Joseph, he's a good guy. He's going to do the right thing. He is Mr. No Compromise. A lesson can be learned from Joseph. A whole message is found therein. And he is going to put her away privily, it says, in Matthew chapter number 1. But he has a dream. Just like the angel has appeared to Mary, he appears to Joseph in a dream and says, Fear not to take unto thee Mary, 
thy, thy wife, for what is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost. This baby inside of her is God in a body, going to be born as a baby. Think about it. There's so much that I could say about this. But Joseph got in step. How many of us, when we're given a difficult decision to make as a Christian in this hostile world, how many of us are foot draggers and we don't want to do it right away and we just, oh, we fret and we fume and we don't, you know, we don't know what to do. But the Bible gives us clear instructions about what to do. I'm telling you right now, when it comes to the challenges of your life and mine, God's got you covered. It's in the Word of God. We need to get into the Word of God. God tells us how to conduct our lives, how to maintain a testimony and, and still obey God rather than men and still show respect to those who are in authority. We're supposed to do both. And God will guide us and direct us. The Holy Spirit will show us. Uh, we, we have to be people of the book and people of prayer. We need to be people of dedication. You can't just like come and visit the Lord on Sundays for an hour and that's it. You've got to be in the Word of God every day. You've got to be praying all the time. Pray without ceasing. We've got to be Christians 24-7. We can't just occasionally show up. It's got to be real with us. And God will help us with the difficult choices in life. And all went to be taxed. And verse 4 says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So that explains why they're going all the way down there. Now, they're going up because it's up in, in elevation. You often probably read that and thought, well, like I'm going to go up to New York, right? Right, Grace? You're going to drive up to New York, right? And then you say you're going to drive down to Florida, right? You don't say you're going to drive up to Florida and down to New York. Of course not. Because when we think, we think in terms of the map. We have Rand McNally mindset, all right? So that's how we see it. In those days, if you're going someplace, it had to do with if you're going uphill or downhill. So they're going up to Judea, which is up in elevation, all right? And those of us who have to go on foot and are using human uh, locomotion, all right, you, you would know that better than if you're just uh, in a car and you can hardly notice and you're going up and down on these highways. But on foot, you would notice, wouldn't you? <sighs> Make it to the top of the hill. Take a rest. All right, take a breather. All right, so they're on their way. And uh, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. How many of you ladies remember when you were great with child? Raise your hand. How many of you would like to take a long, I'm talking multi-day trip, on the back of a beast of burden like a mule uh, for three or four days when you're great with child. Nobody in their right mind would do that. So they're doing the difficult, the near impossible thing, the, the thing that requires the extra effort. Uh, the Lord himself said when he was teaching people during his earthly ministry, he said, if somebody compels you to go a mile, go twain, go two. We need to be second mile Christians. Are you listening to me? We need to be willing to do the difficult thing to go along with and deal with difficult circumstances when it's necessary to, to promote and uh, to progress in the kingdom, it's very important for us to be willing to go that extra mile. That rule was a rule, a standing rule in their culture and their legal system in that day. 
the Roman Empire ruled the Mediterranean, including uh, the Holy Land. And if a Roman soldier came along and he had that backpack or whatever it was that, and it was, you know, 50 pounds or 100 pounds or whatever it was, and you're sitting there as a Jew, you are occupied, he would drop that in front of you and compel you to take it a mile for him. That Roman soldier could do that. That was the law. And Jesus said, when they do that, instead of cussing under your breath and being upset with them, you take it a mile, and then you take it a second mile. You don't hear much preaching on that second mile business. Bad enough the first mile that you have to do it. Don't get paid for it. Don't get appreciated. Get spat on and mistreated as the conquered people. But now what do you do? Take it the second mile. Take it the second mile, and he looks at you. What kind of a man, what kind of a woman are you? And You can say, I'm a second-mile Christian. I go the extra mile. I go the extra mile. I do the difficult thing. Up in Pittsburgh years ago where I was preaching, we had a number of preacher boys. We, we call them that with no disrespect, uh, but young preachers. And they all had a desire to preach. Some of them would preach on the street. Some of them would preach in various ministries. But we would have preaching time, and I would have five-minute preaching. And I would sit on the front and say, go, and he'd come up and start to preach and go five minutes and sit down. And somebody else get up, go five minutes and sit down. Five minutes, sit down. We had a whole row of five-minute preachers. And at other times, they would fill pulpit and they would do an admirable job. There was one man, and he always said this, I want to ask the Lord if I can stand in the short line. What he meant by that, the short line is the line for people volunteering to do the difficult thing the toughest thing, the most, the most unthinkable thing. Second mile Christians. Dos milas, see? Dos milas. Second mile Christians. Short line Christians. The thing that nobody wants to do. The thing that's so hard to do that you can't wrap your mind around to even think about doing. And my Bible says I can do all Things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Wasn't easy. They went. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son. Now that's that's interesting. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. No room for them in the inn. Last week I spoke on the subject of Jesus Christ being preeminent. And I told you this week we would talk about something similar but not exactly the same. You see, when Jesus Christ is preeminent, that means He's in first place. He is deserving. He is worthy of all praise. He is the one that we ought to acknowledge in all of our ways. He is the one who ought to be the leader that guides and directs how we think, how we talk, how we walk, how we live. Amen. But I'm backing it off a little bit. The expectations aren't so high. Here we find a situation in which the Son of God is going to be born and there's not an available room. It wasn't the Holiday Inn. It was the inn. And in those days, they crowded them in there. There was no room. We have heard many messages, many themes developed around this. When I was in first grade, now, I had just asked Jesus in my heart that summer at Vacation Bible School. 
And I went off to Hillview Elementary School in Los Altos, California. And I was in the first grade. And I, I, I thought I was, I was in high grass. I thought it was the best situation ever to be in school. This is a public school back in the 1950s. And it came Christmas time. And guess what? We put on a Christmas play. And Sandy wasn't in it. And there were no reindeer. And there were no talking Christmas trees. And there were no, there were no uh, dancing uh, snowmen or anything like that. It was, it, now, it was not theological. Somebody had written a script. And it was about the innkeeper and his wife. And from what I can recall, they argued a lot. So whoever wrote it was making it kind of contemporary. And, uh, and guess, guess who in that class of 30 first graders got to be the innkeeper? Little Bradley Allen Winnegar got to be the innkeeper back in the 1950s. And I don't remember too much about it, but I remember the innkeeper's wife was, was yammering it was in her, in her script to, to kind of argue with me. And, and uh, I had this cup. The name of the play was The Blue Cup. I had this blue cup. And I kept slamming it down, saying, Woman! And my, my parents were sitting out there. And my mother and my dad, when they would laugh, some of you do this, they would cover their mouth because they were laughing so big. You know what I'm saying? They just laughing. They were having such a belly laugh about their little six-year-old that was, Woman! Slamming down that cup. And I don't even know how it turned out. But it was in the public school in the 1950s. And it was about an innkeeper and his wife in the days when Jesus was born. Can't even talk about that now. Come a long way, not to the better. All right. So no room in the inn has lots of applications. But today, the, the key application is is there any room for Jesus? Does Jesus have a place in your mind, in your heart, in your life, in your relationships, in your choices, in your decisions? Does Jesus Christ have a place or has He been refused? Has He been rejected? Is it part of your routine? I'm just so busy, preacher, and I want to speak to all of those who are out there traveling. I understand you're traveling, but when you get back, don't skip church. Don't skip Sunday school. Don't skip Sunday evening. Don't skip Wednesday evening. We need to be in the house of the Lord, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. This young Jewish woman by the name of Mary, she did right. She was willing to be the vehicle through whom the sinless Son of God would come. I want you to consider her after being told what she would have to go through, this obscure uh, but very outstanding in character young woman would sacrifice her own reputation, would be misunderstood for all of her life, and she would reply, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. She's saying, I'm willing to go through it. I'm willing to be part of this great plan of salvation. Joseph, a good guy, he was going to put her away quietly, not have her stoned, but just put her away quietly because that was the law. And then when he was told the truth that She's not been unfaithful to you. What's inside of her is of the Holy Ghost. That's, that's the Son of God. That's God the Son in a body going to be born as a baby. He said, all right. And, and there he is. And they're taking that long trip, that difficult overhill and overdale kind of trip. And she brings forth her firstborn son, not her only son. There's a false religion that teaches that Mary was a perpetual virgin. The Bible does not teach that. Listen. 
You can take religion on one side and Bible on the other. I take the Bible. Religion frequently is wrong. Religion says she was a perpetual virgin, but my Bible says there were a number of sons and at least two girls. So there was a full family. Jesus grows up with half-brothers and half-sisters. And so she's, she's not a perpetual virgin. She is not sinless. She was not born of a virgin, even though in the 1850s, that religious organization falsely declared at that point uh, the Immaculate Conception. The Immaculate Conception, for you that don't know it, doesn't have anything to do with Jesus Christ. The Immaculate Conception is the false teaching of religion that Mary was born of a virgin and she had no sin. I don't want you to boo out loud, but that's false. That's error. And now they're pushing for something else. She has been declared to be co-mediatrix, but the Bible says there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. They're pushing for this. We may see it in our time, that she is co-redemptrix, that you can get saved. Not just pray to her, but you can get saved by her alone. Not Je- don't even need Jesus Christ. Don't need the blood, don't need the cross, don't need... The, the empty tomb, don't need that. According to them, you can just get saved by Mary's word, whatever it is. False. Error. Believe the Bible. She was a wonderful woman, but a sinner saved by grace. She is chosen especially for this. And, and here comes Joseph, and he's doing a great job as well. Praise the Lord for them. Good examples. Good examples. Name your kids Joseph, Mary. Those are good names. Firstborn son. Firstborn son, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. She wraps him in swaddling clothes. Swaddling cloth is death cloth. It is so symbolic. Jesus Christ was not born just to come and do all the things he did and to teach all the things he taught and just be here and make everybody feel good about their condition or their circumstance or whatever. Jesus Christ came into this world, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to die for our sins, but not to stay in the grave, but to rise from the dead. He's alive forevermore. That's why He came. He's wrapped in death cloth because that's symbolic of why He came, His mission. He came to die. And if Jesus Christ was willing to do that, if Mary and Joseph were willing to go the second mile, to do the difficult, the nearly impossible thing, in order for the the truth to be known, then how much more should we, in our comfort, in our privilege, in our uh, extra special situation that we have in human history, why shouldn't we stand up for Jesus? And why shouldn't we tell the lost and dying world that there is a Savior who still seeks and saves them and satisfies them? He was laid in a manger. When When Jesus came into this world, According to Philippians chapter 2, he laid aside something. He never ceased to be deity, but he laid aside the independent use of his attributes as God so that he was under the direction of the will of the Father. As, as directed by the Holy Spirit, he did the, came to do the Father's will, he said. So he laid that aside. And then he was born of the virgin. He was laid in a manger. And then 33 homesick years later, He voluntarily goes to the cross and he voluntarily lies down. He laid down and was nailed to the cross. And then that cross was raised up and as he hung there, 
He dismissed his own spirit. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. Think about that. He laid down his life. He was willing to do that for you and for me. There was no room in the inn, and that was sad. But I wonder how many today would say, because of my routine or because of my regimen or because of my uh, rushing about, I, I don't have room for Jesus right now. I don't have room for Jesus in my life. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. The people in the story that I've shared with you today, and there are more, made a willful and deliberate choice. And not one of them will ever in eternity say, I regret making the right choice. Choosing to defer. Choosing to do what is difficult. Choosing that which was difficult. They'll never regret that. There has never ever been a person who received Jesus Christ as Savior who in eternity said, I'm sorry that I got saved and have gone to heaven. I wish I'd stayed down there and been lost and lived it up and died and gone to hell. Nobody, nobody that encourages me today to share with every lost soul that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way to heaven. It's not by religion. It's not by good works. It's not by doing better. It's by receiving the free gift of God. I don't have any gifts to hand out. Some of you exchange gifts, but let me say this. If I were to hand you a gift, and I say, here is a gift, Vicki. Here is a gift. And I'm holding it right in front of you. What do you have to do to make it your gift? Receive it. Just take it. For God so loved the world, say it with me, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Don't have to go to hell. Don't have to stand judgment, condemnation for your sins if you'll receive Jesus Christ. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Will you do it? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody looking. How many of you right now would say, Preacher, something in the message stirred my heart. Something spoke to my heart. Something, uh, something was for me. There was some practical aspect of this message for me today. Slip your hand up high. Come on. Spoke to my heart in some practical way. Something was for me. Praise the Lord. Amen. I don't know if you have a decision to make today or not, but here's what's going to happen. And just... A few moments, I'm going to invite you to come from where you are. If the Spirit of God spoke to your heart about anything, and you can come down to the front and either sit or kneel at the front. Either way, it's fine with us. And it's just between you and the Lord this time. This is an old-fashioned altar time. It's a time for you to come and kneel down and meet with the Lord, and you can come directly to Him by the finished work of Jesus Christ, and you can pray about anything in your life. It may be something you're praying about, some rededication, some recommitment. It may be something that, that you hope in the new year to accomplish by the grace of God, some goal that's godly and, and is in the will of God. Then come and pray about it. It may be that you're praying about your loved ones or family, friends, 
uh, maybe co-workers, uh, fellow students that need Jesus. Come and pray that the Lord will make you a more efficient and effective and uh, um, uh, successful soul winner this year. I want you to come and pray. Maybe you've got something in your body that's going on right now and you need wisdom or you need healing and you want to come and pray about that. This time is going to be for you. On this special Christmas Sunday, I can't think of a better time for you and for me to kneel down or sit down and have a word of prayer. Maybe you've realized that there are some decisions to make. You want to be a second-mile Christian. You want to be a willing servant of the Lord. You want to do the difficult thing. You want to go forward and progress and do what needs to be done in your life that the Lord is directing you to do. I want you to come. Now, it could be that you're here today. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm going to help you right now. Over on this side and throughout the middle and all the way back over here, everybody in the room, everybody listen now, heads bowed, eyes closed. If you do not know for a fact that Jesus Christ is your Savior, if you do not know for a fact that you're going to heaven because you've received Him as your Savior once and for all, all your sins, past, present, and future, taken care of, justified, washed in the blood of Jesus, if you don't know that, I want you to do this right now. Understand that we're all sinners. We need a Savior. He's the Savior. We need to receive the free gift. You might not understand every detail, but you understand that much. Then would you pray with me, not out loud, but silently. Everyone in this room that's not sure of heaven, pray silently from your heart to God. Here's what you pray. Dear God, just pray to Him now. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior, as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die and take me to heaven when I die. Now, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Let me tell you, this week we've seen several already that have received Christ as Savior, and you will not be the only one. How many of you just now, from your heart to God, you breathed that prayer and you meant it? Slip your hand up so I can see it right now. Put your hand up so I can see it. I prayed that prayer and I meant it. I'm going to ask you to do something right now, to stand to your feet with heads bowed, eyes closed. If you want to come forward and pray, I'm going to ask you to do that when the music first starts to play. Likewise, if you would like to be baptized or join the church, I want you to come from where you are and let me know that that's your desire. We sing just as I am without one plea. I wrote this song a number of years ago, wrote a cantata to go with it. His coming down to earth. 
of sin to pay. It's not about the shopping, the presents bought each year. It's not about the gathering nor spreading of good cheer. Jesus is the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for this day. of sin to pay. It's not about a sleigh ride nor mythical reindeer. It's not about traditions old nor sentimental For the season, Jesus is the reason for this day. We celebrate his birth, his coming down to earth. God is the reason for the season. Amen.